Jeremy and I have been working through these temple texts in the Old and New Testament. It's been kind of fun because we're kind of using the idea of the temple as a lens to take us through the whole Bible. And it turns out you can do that with some of these ideas. The temple is one of them because it shows up in virtually every part of Scripture. Some aspect of this temple theology is very central to God. This idea that although God is, uh, you know, in the realm of heaven and He's made the earth a place where we uh, are, are meant to be His regents on earth, His image bearers on earth to do His will, and we don't do that very well. Earth is a place where God's will isn't completely done. That God brings heaven and earth together in certain key places. And, and, and those places are, 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 are where God communicates and sort of makes a little heaven on earth. The temple being one of those. And we've been looking through the different ways in which that phenomenon takes place. When Jesus came to earth, He acted like He was the temple. And then he told his disciples, I want you to go out and make disciples of all the nations. And I'm going to be there wherever you are to the end of the age. And we start to see something phenomenal happening. Jesus acted like he was that place where heaven and earth meet. And now, in the book of Acts, we're actually beginning to see the theology that the church that starts on the day of Pentecost is that place where heaven and earth meet. And wherever the church goes, that's a temple. There's still the old Jerusalem temple. It will exist for a a couple of decades after this, three decades. But, But the church now has become that place where heaven and earth meet, where God comes down and, and, and spreads His influence here in our realm. And you can see that theology in a variety of ways. In chapter 7, Stephen gets killed for saying the old physical temple is no longer serving its purpose. He really does say that in his speech. Because now the church has become the temple. And in today's reading, we have this fascinating story of the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. And many of you, if you've gone to church uh, for most of your life, then you've known this story since you were a child. I've certainly known it since I was a child. The Ethiopian eunuch. I've I've seen many, many flannel graphs with a guy in a chariot and another guy joining him in a chariot and baptism, all of that. that. That's a part of my education in the Bible. But it is a great story, and it's actually a temple text. And it looks like it's deliberately a temple text. It is, a, it is an actual event that happened, but we know that in the spread of Christianity, there were thousands of conversions that we don't get told about. Why do we get told about this guy? Because not only is it gospel coming to one human... It is also a symbolic moment in the spread of God's temple across the world. God's church, God's temple across the world. Part of the deal is that eunuchs, by the law, were prevented from entering the old temple. But God had promised that they would be included one day. 
You go to Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, you just get the straight-up command. No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. There's a similar statement about priests not being allowed to come into God's place over in Leviticus chapter 21. And so eunuchs were not allowed to come into the temple. They weren't allowed to be part of the fellowship. And you get this great prophecy in Isaiah 56. Isaiah, that part of Isaiah, is governed by the servant of the Lord passages, uh, of which I think Isaiah 53 is key. And, and it turns out that this whole passage hinges on Isaiah 53, as we'll see in a minute. But, but, but a few chapters later, we get this promise, Isaiah 56, For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me, hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord and be His servants, all who keep the Sabbath and do not pervade it and hold fast to My covenant, these I will bring to My holy mountain and make them joyful in My house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on My altar, for My house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. That's a temple text. We've actually used it before. Isaiah 56 promising that both foreigners and eunuchs who had been excluded by law, by the law of Moses, are one day going to be brought in. Why do you think Luke tells us the story, this particular dramatic conversion story? Because here's Isaiah right in front of our eyes being fulfilled. It's an amazing event. It is one more step in God's plan to take His temple, His church, everywhere in the world, to push it out everywhere in the world. Here's the way we get the story in Luke, and, and it'd be wise for you to open your Bibles if you have them and, and look at this because there's more going on, but, uh, but this is the part that we put on your study sheet for you. Acts 8, starting in verse 26, And the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Philip is another one of those deacons in the early Jerusalem church who were filled with the Spirit. And when the persecution arises after the death of Stephen, the church just gets pushed in all directions out of Jerusalem. And although the people like Paul hope that that will crush the church, it actually ends up setting all kinds of wildfires of Christianity everywhere. Every place they go, they talk about Christianity. So everywhere they go, they start new churches. It's, an, it's, it's a great story. Philip goes and starts a church in Samaria a place that the traditional Jews wouldn't even set foot normally. He goes and starts a church there in the early part of book, uh, book of Acts, and then when that's finished and kind of resolved, then you get this story. The angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and he went, and now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of uh, the Kandaki uh, Queen of the Ethiopians. I don't know how to pronounce this, actually. I think they would have, the Greek would be more like Kandaki. But I was raised Candace, and that's actually an English name for us. So maybe Candace is better. I can't tell. Uh, Queen of the Ethiopians. 
in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Who is this guy? Just based on that alone, who is this guy? He's African. He is essentially uh, the secretary of the treasury. He is the guy who's in charge of, you know, the economy of an entire nation. And he's riding in his chariot. How can he be reading and riding in his chariot at the same time? Is this like a Ben-Hur chariot, two wheels, 500 horses, or however many it is, you know, going 80 miles an hour? What are we looking at here? I mean, the equivalent story, if we translated this into the 21st century, the equivalent story would be this foreign diplomat was riding in the back of his tinted glass limousine, or Rolls-Royce, or Bentley. And the Holy Spirit told Philip, go up and knock on the window. That's really what's going on. This guy is a foreign aristocrat. He is the upper, you know, 1% of the upper 1% of the ancient world. Uh, and, and of all the warning signs, I guess, in evangelism to say, yeah, you probably don't want to spend time with a person like that. All of those would be going off. This guy is out of our reach socially. He's out of Philip's reach socially. He's out of. He's from a different nation. He's a different race. He, all of these things are are different. And the Holy Spirit says, "Yeah, go up there. Go up there." So Philip ran up to it. The Spirit said to Philip, "Go over to this chariot and join it." So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, "Do you understand what you're reading?" He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? Again, who's driving the chariot? It's clearly not the eunuch. He's got people to do that. I don't think we imagine a little two-wheeled chariot. I think we're supposed to be imagining a carriage here. And so Philip just climbs up in the carriage in order to carry on this interview. Do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip. Philip to get in beside him. Now, the passage of Scripture he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask you, does this prophet say this? Is he talking about himself or about someone else? And Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. I like this story. From the outside, you would never, you know, knock on the door of the Ethiopian eunuch. Foreign, millionaire, aristocrat, diplomat, you just wouldn't bother. But the Holy Spirit says, you don't know what I've been doing in this person's life. You don't know what's been going on in this person's life. And I've got him all primed and teed up for you, Philip. 
All you got to do is go in there and be faithful in proclaiming the gospel and let me handle the conversion. And that's really what happened. That's true of all evangelism, folks. What God asks of you and me is not to be psychological geniuses, you know, or advertising, uh, you know, moguls. What he asks of you and me is to tell the truth about Jesus Christ whenever we get a chance to. Because we don't know what the Holy Spirit's been doing in somebody's life. We don't know how the Holy Spirit has been influencing them. We don't know what steps have gone through. We're never told all the things that had happened in this person's life to get him to the place of being ready and open to receive the gospel. But it's clear that that's what had happened. The Holy Spirit brings the right person at the right moment, and he's able to proclaim the gospel to this person. It's, it's, it's a great story. Starting from this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What scripture was he reading? Well, it's there on your study sheet. It's Isaiah 53. That's what I think this whole section of Acts actually orbits around this larger section of Isaiah, of which Isaiah 53 is a centerpiece. He's reading from this section. He's rich enough to own his own copy of the Bible, by the way. That's I mean, we all have Bibles. you got Bibles. You could actually steal a Bible today. Don't, but you could. I mean, Bibles are very plentiful in our world. In the ancient world, to have your own copy of a piece of Scripture, it's like, I'm having a hard time thinking of a modern analogy. It'd be like owning a Degas painting and just looking at it while you're driving, while you're being driven down the road in your Bentley. I mean, that's what this, I mean, it's really, this guy just drips wealth and privilege. And so, he's reading Isaiah. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our infirmities, and he has carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. For he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. And by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He, had, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who can have imagined his future, his generations? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of God to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him will the will, the will of the Lord will prosper. Out of his anguish he will see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him 
a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's the section of Scripture that Philip has to start with. What a great passage to start this interview with. We have an Ethiopian eunuch. The law says a eunuch can't come into the temple. He had just been down to Jerusalem. As rich as he is, as privileged as he is, as influential as he is, a foreign diplomat representing the government of Ethiopia, he is only allowed to hover on the periphery of God's temple. All of his life, at least all of his life where he knew about the Jewish teachings, he had been told, yes, this is the truth. Yes, this is the real God. Yes, this is where life is really found. And no, you can't come near. You can't come near at all. We don't know what Philip preached, but we can kind of understand There's the Ethiopian eunuch with his own shame, keeping him separated from God. And there's Philip able to start with Isaiah 53 and say, He has borne all of our suffering, all of our iniquities, in order that we can be healed. You think that sounded like good news to the Ethiopian eunuch? A person who'd been told, you are, because of this reason or that reason, you are unworthy. You are not allowed. You are prevented from entering the presence of God. Do you think it sounded like good news to find out that God, the God that he believed in, the God he had just been down to Jerusalem to worship, to get as close as they would let him get, that God was so concerned about him that He had sent His Son to bear our sins so that people can come back and be close to God. Do you think that sounded like good news to the Ethiopian eunuch? I think it did. Philip, one of the seven deacons of the Jerusalem church, was sent to proclaim the gospel to this wealthy African eunuch. It is a great moment in the book of Acts that the gospel goes to this person, riding in this luxurious carriage, as I imagine it now, discussing the Scriptures as they bump along that desert road down to Gaza, and saying to him, whatever it is that you think has been keeping you away from God, God has overcome with the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's who the prophet was talking about. When the prophet said he was cut off from the land of the living, that's what happened to Jesus Christ. When the prophet said they made his grave with the wicked, that's what happened to Jesus Christ. And when the prophet says, even though he's dead, he will prolong his days, that too is what happened to Jesus Christ. Jesus was killed. The grave could not hold him. He came back from death 
inner resurrection, the new life. And that is the good news. You think that sounded like good news to the Ethiopian eunuch? It evidently did because look how the Ethiopian eunuch responds. Look down in Acts 8, verse 36. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? Now, most of the early manuscripts don't have verse 37. Some of the older manuscripts, uh, some of the later, uh, more recent manuscripts have this that is familiar to us. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Whether that was originally written by Luke or not is doubtful, but something like that is, is, is the exchange that takes place. What Luke is concerned about is the question the Ethiopian eunuch asked, though. Here's some water. You've just told me amazing. You've told me news that I've never heard in my entire life. I've been hanging out with religious people my entire life, Philip, and I've never heard news like what you've just told me. All I've heard is you have to stay away. Because of what's wrong with you, you have to stay at arm's length from God. And you've told me this amazing news, but I'm still kind of scared to ask this question. I know you Christians baptize. Here's some water. Are you going to keep me from being baptized? Everybody else does. Everybody else says no. Because of what's wrong with you, you can't come. Is there anything that's going to prevent me from taking this step? And Luke just demonstrates the answer. He commanded the chariot to stop. Both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Nothing will prevent you from being baptized. That's what the story tells us. Nothing will prevent you. Nothing that's wrong with you, nothing that's been done to you, nothing that you've done either, can prevent the blood of Jesus Christ from washing away your sins. And if Isaiah 56 is right... One more person in that moment of baptism, death, and resurrection out of the water to new life. In that moment, a eunuch, formerly excluded from the temple, is built into the new temple of God, which is God's church. Christians, you live in a world where people often act as if they're very hostile to Christianity or not interested at all in what Christianity has to offer. Let me explain something to you. That's a pose. Everybody, everybody, 
wants what the Ethiopian eunuch found on this day. Everybody. People who are angry about Christianity, people who say they're not interested in Christianity, almost all of them are feeling that way because they feel like there's something that's keeping me away. I live this kind of life and I don't want to quit it. I, I have done these kinds of things and I wouldn't be accepted. I'm just not worthy and I can't ever imagine getting myself to a place where I was behaving good enough to be a Christian. Everybody out there feels that that's what's keeping them at arm's length from God. You, Christian, you, on your tongue, have good news for each of those people to say, nothing will prevent you from being baptized. Nothing prevents you from coming in. God can conquer what's wrong in your life, and God can build you into His new temple, the church of Jesus Christ. It is good news that we have to proclaim to the world. Let's get out there and tell some people. If you need to respond to this same good news, if today is the day to, for you to do what the Ethiopian eunuch did and to, to, to go down into the water and to come up rejoicing because you've been made part of the kingdom. It, or, or if today you need to come forward and ask for prayers or help or, 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 or something else that this congregation can do for you, then why don't you come as we stand and as we're led in song.